0: Welcome to Freightonomics, the show where we break down the freight market and combine it with that macroeconomic voodoo that you do so well. I'm Zach Strickland, (laughs) Director of Freight Market Intelligence, and with me, as always, lead economist Anthony Anthony Smith. That's right. We bring freight and economics together because it's like the perfect
1: marriage. It's like supply and demand intensified. It's brought up to the next level. When you look at it in real time, it's out of the classroom. It's real time, real world examples. This is Freightonomics. As Zach mentioned, I'm Anthony Smith, lead economist here at FreightWaves. If you see me looking down, that's because I'm checking out the stream on LinkedIn. So if you want to join in on the conversation, of course, you can chime in, comment, ask questions for me and Zach, add some contributions to the conversation move it forward. Get a little shout out here, but this is Economics, and Zach, Without
0: further ado, it's been a busy week. Busy week. Right before Christmas, of course, we have all sorts of stuff to break down. So we decided to go ahead, since we only have a 30-minute show this week, to break down the central freight line thing. But before we get to that, uh, you know, there, there are some things kind of that we need to address within the market right now. Uh, and that is, of course, that it is Christmas time. <laughs> it's the peak season and we're just not seeing as much volatility in the space as we normally would. However, there are some things going on that we need to be mindful of into the future. So let's go ahead and jump right into the news onomics uh, section. So, and, the, and this is really going to set the tone for the rest of the, the show here because we're going to talk about uh, the maritime situation. So we've got uh, Laurie and Larocco uh, wrote an article here. Basically, uh, Stating that amazing transit times from China is faster to reach New York than LA. Uh, this is insane, <laughs> and she cites a report in here that basically shows that the average time it's taken from go to, to go to China from uh, to go to LA from China right now, forty-five days. <laughs> compared to 38 days. Okay. I was going to gonna get, ask you, what's the typical time frame? To New York. Well, typically, and we're not going to com- compare this to the typical time frame, but typically it's under 20 days mm-hmm. um, to get from China to Los Angeles. And we're obviously not in these typical times whatsoever. But the fact of the matter is, is that the balance has swung to the other direction. So I want to pull up the first chart here uh, to show the maritime rates. So this is a freight to exchange. So you're, as as a shipper, you can now get better service going to the East Coast. <laughs> and you're really not spending that much more money. You're not losing any time because traditionally, if you look at these these two lines here, the the purple one is the rate, the spot rate of moving a forty foot container to the east coast. they've dropped they've dropped a little bit over the last uh, month or so. They take a little bit of an increase here uh, in recent weeks, but you're still looking at the difference between those two numbers as being the driving force. We call it the Pan- Panama spread here yeah. <laughs> um, because it has to go through the Panama Canal or the Suez Canal typically to get uh, from China back over here, or Asia to here. And you're just not going to have to spend that much more, mo- that much more money and you're going to save time in transit, especially if all your freight's going to the consumer population, which most of it does this time of year uh, on the East Coast.
1: And we're talking East Coast. I know you mentioned New York as an example, but East Coast as a, whole, as a whole, when you're looking at, let's say, Savannah, for an example, I'm
0: hearing that pop up more and more as a yep. late. Yeah, Savannah, of course, a big... New York, New Jersey yeah. is the second largest uh, import volume uh, in the United States compared to Los Angeles, Long Beach. Then you have Savannah sitting out there in a, in a third place spot, but does handle a lot of volume and has grown tremendously over the past uh, several years. A lot of shippers... Choosing to build DCs and warehouses out there because there's a lot of real estate out in that space. Easy hot shot up to Atlanta uh, where you can hop on the interstates and get into the rest of the country. Now, the next part of this that I want to address and pulling up our next chart here, the IOTI. So we're talking about still a lot of congestion at the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach, making all this, you know, all this freight still coming in at an extremely high pace. IOTI here, import TU volume bookings starting to creep back higher. Mm. And we just talked... We, there's articles on FreightWaves.com, of course, that address declines in uh, volumes for the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach. Sequentially, October uh, was higher than November. Uh, and we see that in the IOTI here, where volumes, import volumes have been declining, and actually pretty significantly there uh, for a little bit in uh, October, November. They're starting to jump back up, Anthony. And that is... <clears throat> Well beyond where we were this time last year, it's not atypical to see these volumes jump back up a little bit as we get ready for Chinese New Year. But what's going to be interesting is this is a signal moving forward that all this congestion and all this chaos on the maritime side, it ain't over yet.
1: So this is a precursor of mm-hmm. stuff that's going to hit uh, the well our country in just a couple of weeks or up to a month. So this is what you're telling me is that we're shaping up to have 2022 is going to be. Off
0: to just an incredibly strong start essentially, uh, well, or a robust start with lots of. There's stuff a lot of in. potential here. Yeah. There's still a lot of potential left in the system. The sense of urgency is the big telling, determining factor. We saw shippers kind of take a breather last year, and then consumers said, "No, not so fast." <laughs> and then the industrial sector chimed right right after them and said, "No, we're ready to go now." Uh, so there's still a lot of backlog, a lot of freight to move uh, in the early part of the year for sure. Next year uh, is what that chart's telling me. So. Without further ado, let's move to the next story here. And it's the big one. Central Freight Lines uh, to shut down after 96 years.
1: So Zach, this is, of course, if we go back to our roots of Freightonomics, mm-hmm. I'm, I think one of our first weeks we went and we're talking about what
0: is LTL? What is truckload? Yeah.
1: This is LTL,
0: right? Yeah, these are. this is an LTL carrier. It's been around for a very long time. And <laughs> also LTL, one of the hot markets throughout
1: 2021. Correct so we have a lot of things to dive into and break down to as to why one of the hottest segments has
0: such a long-lasting company failing right now so we talk about it a lot that obviously anybody that's got a pulse and has seen anything around supply chain knows that transportation rates uh, and carriers have more than they can handle Mm -hmm. they literally cannot find enough drivers not enough trucks they can't get trucks because there's no one, they have commodity shortages, and they don't have the transportation capacity to move these parts into these markets. Maintenance is out of control uh, because they can't find parts. So, but they're now, shippers have bid up rates over the last year to a point where rate increases are a foregone conclusion, not just on an annual basis, but on a monthly basis in some instances. So I want to pull up one chart here uh, the LTL, uh, this is our contract LTL index here that measures the at an average rate per hundred weight for LTL volume shipments based on, uh, you know, several billions of dollars of uh, spend here. And you can see that over the last year, 15% increase mm-hmm. in the average rate per hundred weight for contracted LTL shipments. Now, LTL, very different in the regard that most of the freight is contracted. 98% of it is contract. Whereas in truckload, you see the spot market uh, influence and factor carriers. Some carriers, they all divert some level of capacity to the spot market and transaction because they have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the nature of the beast. in LTL networks, very static stable. So your question was, how in this environment where carriers can just walk into shippers and say, I'm going to charge you what I want, yeah. <laughs> essentially, not totally, I'm being a little bit, hyperbolic there, but how can a carrier shut down? Well, the next article, if you're, please go out and read these. Clarissa Haas our specialist in covering these shutdowns, which are obviously uh, tragic events for a lot of people. But I think in the long run, this is okay. I think everybody's going to get a job here. There's obviously, like I just said, driver's most of the drivers already got picked up. They're getting picked up already. We yeah. just Estes picked up a ton of them. Uh, again, another article on the on the on our site here that you can that you can read. A lot of these uh, people will get snagged up, uh, etc. And really, this isn't a true shutdown in my mind mm-hmm. because a lot of these customers uh, they were they were broker customers. There's not as much broker freight on the LTL space, and it's very transactional. Mm-hmm. which is one of the things that led to the demise of Central Freight. Now, it states in this next article, Autopsy Report, How Central Freight Fell into a Five-Year Death Spiral. It's been, this has been coming for longer than five years. Speaking from somebody who's been in the space <laughs> and everybody knows that has been in pricing and LTL or even operates in LTL in general knows this has been a long time coming. Central Freight uh, traditionally never made money. Yeah. As long as I've been in the space, I never heard once of them having a positive or a good OR operating ratio uh, in the space. And I would obviously get their rate sheets and say, do not go below these rates mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> and that's just that's just known, Uh that you would not price below central's rates uh, in the space. And one of the methods of them, you know, and, and you get you get trapped in this. Because the old adage in LTL is freight moves freight. If, if there's a lesson from this uh, whole situation, it is that that is not 100% accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so, Zach, when we're looking at Central, mm-hmm. one of the big things I have to ask, of course, is the customer base that they, were, that they had. Mm-hmm. Did they, because they were operating for so long, what were some of the, the draws from them? Or who were some of the largest customers? that were really kind of honing in on Central Freight.
0: Yeah, well, it, uh, if you read this article, Amazon actually got had their hand in Central Freight early on, about 2012 or so, uh, and then of course they got into a dispute. Uh, and I don't know the details of that uh, all throughout, but uh, basically the article states that they were 30% of their business at one point. You cannot have a customer of that size <laughs> drop out of your network. Yeah, On LTL, because like I said, the adage is freight moves freight, which is true to an extent, until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cheap freight eventually catches up to you. Uh, what Central eventually did was they, were, they, had, they got desperate. Uh, you know, Amazon left them in the 2016, I believe, space. Maybe it was earlier than that. But if they left in 2016, that was a down cycle in the freight market, which meant that they had to go out into the space, dropping their rates below market levels, below their cut, all the other carriers out there, um, just to make sure they had enough freight to move on a truck because yeah. unlike truckload, there's, they have, they have other space on the truck that they have to fill. So if they cut a truck with one pallet on it, mm-hmm. automatically losing money.
1: <laughs> and Zach, I, diving into this, this phrase freight moves freight I, I'm kind of, so does this also kind of go into that, that general sales tactic as well? I'm sure Kevin Hill can dive into this mm-hmm. one for sure and Richie Daigle. But when you're looking at you know some sales tactics of, hey, yeah, they could have paid more for this price, but we just want to get our foot in the door, build mm-hmm. that relationship, and then it'll grow into something else. But it never grew into anything else.
0: Exactly. And unlike truckload where it, it's simply, it's kind of like market share, but on a lane level <laughs> uh, or at a truckload level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you make a market share play and the easiest way to do that is to lower your rates. And uh, people are going to give you a shot (laughs) more than likely. Um, the problem with that is that a lot of time that below that rate is below your cost. And if anybody that's been in trucking, that's priced any freight whatsoever knows those margins are super thin already. These carriers that are operating at 95, 96 ORs, most of the time, two to 3% rate drop eliminates that (laughs) right off the bat. And If Central's losing money, as it reportedly, obviously they did, (laughs) consistently, even if you are running a full truck, but it doesn't pay to move, you have to find a customer that's going to put you over the edge there, Mm -hmm. eventually. Otherwise, you're going to do exactly what just happened here, which is go out of business, losing money. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So moving into the next step, Mm -hmm. going out of business, you're losing money. So I'm going to rewind back to my advisory and consulting days. So Mm -hmm. I had some clients that had tons of money and when they would go into these down cycles they would just acquire another company Mm -hmm. and then that would kind of pop them up a little bit then they would start going (laughs) down then
0: they would acquire another company
1: what do we see here
0: yeah so central did again the playbook for going out of business. yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so they priced their freight too low yeah trying to get freight on the truck and just get in the door and then the play would be to raise rates later which never happened um, and then their next thing they did was they bought two failing carriers, uh, Wilson and, and volunteer both were struggling at the time. So you get a discount, mm-hmm. but that also gives you an opportunity to buy more freight. You're essentially buying other people's freight. Hopefully that, that, you know, you mix that with your current freight density. Hopefully that fills some trucks up a little bit better. Yeah. But again, if you're buying companies that have already priced below cost, you're just getting more bad freight. Yeah. <laughs> And you are digging yourself a little bit deeper. Yeah, all you're doing is just extending the the pain. Maybe mm-hmm. you're filling up a truck or two, but you're still not making money. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I mean, and this is why this company I, I didn't get bought. This is why nobody bought Central, because they didn't make the same mistake. And again, the cycle is totally different now. Yeah, We're in an up cycle with the freight market. So why would you go and invest in a company and have to reorganize? And you're talking about rate increases that would be, probably astronomical uh and again a lot of it 70 percent uh according to this article was 3pl freight transactional freight <laughs> stuff they didn't control didn't yeah. have a direct relationship with the customer cannot have that at, a, at an ltl carrier because you just don't have the the network flexibility that you have in truckload truckload you can deviate uh trucks across the country say all right i've got more trucks and they're doing this fluid environment all the time ltl you've got to cut the Atlanta to Dallas truck every night without fail because all this other freight that's coming in depends on it from a service perspective.
1: Yeah. So Zach, when I've seen these models put into place and when I've seen people really kind of hone in on that, hey, like I said, freight moves freight or being able to get the foot in the door, then kind of grow and expand. Usually there's something that is really redeeming. It's just like, you know what? I'll give you this for free because I know what I have is so good, you're going to be coming back for more. Usually it's because of how good service is. You win people back. It seems like the redeeming quality here were just the rates. What was the service side
0: looking like? Yeah, so uh, again, (laughs) you get what you pay for. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it's not that Central didn't know how to move a truck from point A to point B. It's just that they couldn't afford to cut a truck without enough freight on it. I mean, after a while you sit on a truck because you don't have enough freight, you can't afford to move it. A half a truck, you know, uh, of LTL can at times make up for, you know, can pay for a, the line haul move. But then you got pickup, delivery, other uh, transactional things. I mean, there's four times more people involved in moving a stick of LTL freight than there is on the truckload mm. side. So you got all this back office. It's much bigger. You've got docks that are actually docks. Truckload carriers have maintenance facilities and rest right. facilities. They don't have to transload freight. They have drop yards. <laughs> uh, LTL facilities are act- active spaces. that require a lot of hands on deck. So they can't afford to just pay for the line haul. <laughs> you know, you can't do that math and say, well, there was $2,000 on that truck moving from Atlanta to Dallas, um, and that truckload only cost $1,500. Well, then you got to pay dock workers. Then you got to pay the P&D drivers uh, for pickup and delivery, et cetera. All these other moving pieces that are much more complicated than truckload. So, um, I mean, bottom line here is freight moves freight until it doesn't pay. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah and we're getting some, some awesome feedback, of course, in the LinkedIn comments of a really, I think, lengthy but detailed uh, account from Krista Avery who said that you know she doesn't know why the industry was surprised by central freight and talking about her time in 2005 2006 when she was an account exec over at sia mm-hmm. and how the ops the sales the pricing and how they were just out of their league in certain <laughs> uh instances right. here so she goes and she breaks it down um so i think she is really giving her first-hand experience and maybe we can get her on yeah, I love a future free economics episode so Chris sure. thanks so much for jumping in and chiming in on this
0: one yeah and 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 let's and and that leads us actually to the next point like everybody's no, not shocked that central failed mm-hmm. it's I think everybody's shocked that central failed now uh, but I think there's actually a really sharp answer to that question yeah and it's all in the liquidation possibility here so if we pull up this next chart here uh, which is the used truck prices uh, reported by ACT uh, research here. If you look at the three, four, and five-year models, they are hitting all-time highs. And it's been reported uh, by Alan Adler that a lot of these models you can buy for literally the new model price (laughs) at this point, because the equipment is in such high demand. Uh, And you've talked about it significantly in terms of inflation. Yeah, We have seen price inflation, cost inflation go through the roof in a lot of areas. So Central has And it's reported in the initial article that they may not file Chapter 7 liquidation. They may liquidate outside of bankruptcy. That right there tells you all you need to know mm-hmm. is that if they're considering just straight up liquidation, they saw that they could make a ton of money on just getting rid of these assets. You don't need, you don't need a buyer of the whole company because nobody wants it. <laughs> yeah, uh, You don't want to buy up a low, cheap rate customer base, when you have a solid opportunity to keep uh, a lot of these, you know, high paying rates, you would have to spend so much time and effort just getting them up to speed. It's not worth it. Uh, So buy their equipment at a discount. And these guys get to pay off some of their debt, which they probably did the math on and said, hey, we can do, we we can just liquidate some of these assets and we're we're coming out a lot better. (laughs) And that's what, and I think that's probably the driving force behind it. Craig Fuller has, of course, made a few comments online as well that it, it's it's the perfect time to sell assets. yeah, it <laughs> makes
1: all the sense. I mean, we're looking upstream with industrial production. I mean, with the manufacturing, of a lot of these goods or you know equipment, we're seeing really some significant headwinds. I mean, yeah. employment don't even want to get started. We've seen the job openings. Um, And how it breaks down from manufacturing to warehousing to construction. And manufacturing is just astronomical. It's it's up there. And then that being in a big uh, instance, of course, with uh, microchip shortages and supply shortages, this makes complete sense to liquidate now.
0: Yeah, and you're not – I mean, it's really – and you don't want to ignore the personal impact to the people that lost their jobs. But traditionally speaking, when you're looking at carrier shutdowns, they're happening in very – Recessionary times, yeah um, you know, two thousand and sixteen was not necessarily a recession for the economy, but it was a freight recessionary period where you didn't have the same growth. Uh, a lot of carriers fell off the map then two thousand and nineteen same type of situation, a lot of carriers failed in two thousand and nineteen um, and that's difficult for these people to find other jobs. This is a boom. <laughs> mm-hmm. there you are going to have a job you have a job tomorrow. <laughs> just looking at the disparity between job openings and available employees, (laughs) you should have much better time of it. Uh, And I think that that's going to get absorbed. And I think that's one of the reasons why this is not going to have a strong impact to capacity. You're going to see, you know, potentially a more effective use of this capacity of anything Uh, after it gets absorbed. Estes has already, of course, hired a bunch of them and other LTL carriers will do the same. And it's, I think it's essentially just gonna be a transitory period where all this all the available equipment and personnel gets pulled into other spaces where it's needed. That's another
1: question I had. So initially, of course, I, you know, I think everyone's idea was, yeah, there's gonna be a big pickup in those drivers. What are your thoughts around some of the back office people and individuals as well? It seems like there would be a big need for a lot of those folks as well for a lot of other LTL
0: um, networks? No, that's a great that's a great question. So back office and LTL, these tend to be people that are uh, very adept at adaptation <laughs> yeah. because there's a lot more moving parts. There's a lot more moving parts in an LTL space. So these these people shouldn't have uh, as much trouble either. Uh, they're, you know, we're talking about a time where Carriers are having trouble maintaining employment (laughs) bases and and people consistently in jobs and things like that. Uh, LTL people that know LTL can transition into truckload, no problem. Uh, It is is much less complicated to work in a truckload office than it is an LTL one. So I I don't think that, you know, same situation. And along with the increasing need for LTL, that industry is forecast to expand even after the truckload cycle kind of fades out and fizzles out.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great take, Zach. Mm-hmm. I mean, and of course we can't leave you because we are coming down on towards the end of the show without a couple, before we cancel and, and do our <laughs> debate we, cancel, talks, Zach. <laughs> we also have, of course, a couple economic points that mm-hmm. came out over the, this last week. Of course, got to talk to industrial production real quick Moved up, Zach, 0.5%. That industrial sector just won't quit. It won't quit. It's going (laughs) to go down slowly, but surely. But it is continuing to move at at a pretty substantial clip. Very uh, not impressed or surprised, but encouraged by this because this upstream movement is really going to continue to go downstream. And they're showing that there's still a lot of demand, of course. Automotive production still incredibly high, but can't produce enough stuff fast enough, of course. We have other segments, so retail sales. This was a big one that came up this morning as well. Showed an increase of 0.3% month to month. People still spending that money. People still spending money. And so a lot of headlines are going to show this as, hey, there's some weakening going on here, guys. Uh, you know, inflationary pressures are building up. But after what we saw in October, mm-hmm. I could almost say that we could see flat to even downward movement in December. And that would still show that, hey, this was a success in the last quarter.
0: And of course, history Tells us last year, you you can't just take December's numbers that things are moving down. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the consumer said, "Hey, wait, no, we're not done." No, no. And then they had a record, record January, February, March, like just all of them just exactly. turned on exactly. And of course,
1: there were uh, you know benefits and and stimulus and things like that, but still, that mm-hmm. consumer demand was strong in the midst of a pretty scary time for many yep. individuals throughout the recession. Exactly. Um, of course, we saw housing momentum increase as well, but this is the part of the show where we ask Zach some questions. This is economics.
0: Oh, this, this, is our last, this is our last show for the year. Yeah. So hopefully everybody has a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. And Zach, before we head out, Spider-Man, who was the best Spider-Man? Oh, Tobey Maguire. Toby Maguire. Tobey. Do you think we'll see a Toby Maguire and Andrew Spider-Man and No Way Home in an upcoming
0: release? No, I do not. <laughs> but Toby, the best one. Toby, Toby. I, I'm, I'm still. I'm into the. I, I like the uh, the animated version. The Miles is version. that is that top tier? He's top tier for sure. But All right. Don't <laughs> <laughs> have a great Christmas.